Lord Jesus, as we open your word, um, we just really need your help. We need to know your heart. We need your touch. And so we just thank you for all you're going to do today. And for people watching online, Lord, show them how much you care today in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Esther uh, chapter 4. The toughest thing is finding that little book. Uh, It's to the left of Psalms and before you get to Samuel. So uh, if you take a half hour to find it, maybe you should go to the index. Okay, so go there. Esther chapter 4. We're talking about crisis. Everyone say crisis. And what do you do now? How many have ever had a crisis? Hold your hand up. Uh, either you've had one or you're in one or you're about to go in one. So we've all had them. And uh, so uh, this is pretty important. <clears throat> I'm asking the church family, you guys watching online, let's, let's fast some next week. Uh, I have a heart to do this. I feel a need to do this. I'm feeling like the Lord's moving in our midst. I'll talk a little more about it. But just find three days, parts of three days. It could be a meal a day or two meals a day or however you choose to do it. And somewhere you can start anytime you want to. This church has a long history of fasting and uh, it will change your life sometime between now and Saturday. This coming Friday night at Encounter, there's a meal at 5.30 so we can gorge, I mean, enjoy ourselves. <clears throat> and then we're just going to worship our hearts out and show God our appreciation. And that'll lead into 24 hours of people coming to pray for an hour at a time. So this is going to be a sweet sweet time. And I believe if you join, I think you'll be so glad you do. Now let's talk about this word crisis. Everyone say crisis. And I don't want to ever talk about something without giving you a definition. Usually it's an event. Illness, broken relationship. It could be danger. It could be stress. It could be some form of difficulty at work a great potential for loss. If you're in the Ukraine today, you understand that. If you're in Israel today, you understand this. We Americans are very, very fortunate, but there we still have things that are difficult. And you say, Steve, why are we studying this? Someone help me out. Would you ask that? Why are we studying this? Thank you for asking. It's because you're going to need it one day. And we're going to see four things in this, in this biblical account that will help you. And I believe it will be a blessing to all of us. Now, I have seen a crisis drive people away from God. And people lose their faith. And the devil tells them things like, see there, you can't trust God. See there, he wasn't there for you. Uh, You must not be living right or he doesn't even exist. That happens. Or a crisis can drive you to God. That's how I became a Christian. It was a crisis. I had nowhere to turn. But you're the one that decides. 
You decide if you're going to move closer or you decide if you're going to move away. Now, we're going to talk about Esther's crisis. And so everybody got a Bible? Hold it up. Everybody got your Bible? Okay, there's plenty of Bibles on the floor if you need one. And I'm going to start at chapter 4, verse 9. 4, verse 9. Now, this gentleman, Hathik, Hathik is a, a bodyguard in uh, where Esther is. Hathik came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Mordecai is Esther's adopted dad. He adopted her. Actually, they're cousins, and her parents died. And uh, Esther actually won a beauty contest and became queen of Persia, kind of like the beauty contest at Jesmond County Fairground. (laughs) Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. Verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who comes into the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned. In other words, dad is saying, you got to go in there and see your husband. You got to bail us out because we're about to get killed, all of us. And she says, I can't. There's a law. Anybody that comes into the throne room uninvited, there's bodyguards that will kill them on the spot. And there's one law that that person be put to death unless the king holds out to him his golden scepter so that he may live. And he, she reports back through the messenger, I have not even seen my husband. I have not been invited for 30 days. There's hardly a chance he's going to ask me to come in anytime soon. So verse 12, they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. If you don't try this, don't you think just because you're the queen, you're in the palace, that you're going to escape any more than the rest of us Jews. And if you remain silent at this time, God will will send relief and deliverance, will come for the Jews, but it'll come from another place. And you and your family will perish. And I love the next phrase. Who knows? Everyone say, who who knows? Whether you have been placed in such a spot for a time such as this. Verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Okay, okay, okay. You go assemble the Jews who are found in Susa. Susa is the summer capital city of the Persian Empire. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and the maidens of my court will also fast in the same way. And I will go in to see the king. It's against the law. But if I perish... I perish. Okay, now follow me. I urge you to take notes because you will have a crisis coming in your life. And 
How am I going to get through this? Well, so Esther becomes queen of Persia in the year 479 B.C. You say, Pastor, I don't understand dates. Why are you giving me dates? Because I want you to see the Bible is true. It's historical. You can hold history and the Bible in two hands and they blend. Archaeology and the Bible blend. I want to tell you more. This afternoon, I'm just giving you the overview and talking about four verses. But you can read the story of Esther. It's only got 10 chapters. How many have read the entire story of Esther before? Okay, you can read it in about 45 minutes. It's, it's an amazing true story. So who is Esther's husband? He's a king of Persia. This is actually, a, they call this a relief, a stone carving of his face. And this is his Hebrew name. I could give you his Persian name, but I can't spell it and I can't pronounce it and I'm not going to try. But this is his Hebrew name. How in the world would you say that? (laughs) And so being the simple boy that I am, I've broken it down. Here's how you say it. Aha. Everyone say aha. Aha, and my wife's name is Sue, and uh, aha, Sue, us. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Aha, Sarus. Let's try it again. Aha, Sarus. That's his name. Real guy in history. So he did know his Greek name, which is Xerxes. Say that, please. Xerxes. Everybody knew Xerxes through much of the world. This is a painting of him and he is the number one enemy of the Greek city-states. He hates them and they hate him. What is this? Yes it is. Yes it is a monument. Yes it is a monument. This is in Midway. No, it's not Midway. Where is this? Come on. You By the way, if you don't know history, You don't know where you are today. This is Lincoln's tomb. Three or four of us this past spring, we're going to a baseball game and we're driving down the highway and I see Springfield and I just go Pentecostal. I go, oh, 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 let's stop. I got to stop. I want to see Lincoln's where he lived. I want to see Lincoln's tomb. Guess what this is? This is Esther's husband's tomb, or Xerxes, or Ahasuerus. Why are you showing us both? If you believed Abraham Lincoln lived and died, and here's his tomb, Xerxes lived and died, he's in the Bible, and he's in history, and there it is. You make sense? Now his daddy was a guy named Darius. Everyone say Darius. That is not Darius, Hootie, and the Blowfish. This is, excuse me, this is Darius, and this is also him. This is a relief from his palace in Persepolis. 
This is a guy bad to the bone. He started the Greek wars. He hated the Greeks. And he was called Darius the Great. Quite quite a conquering man. This is one of his palaces. This is in Persepolis, which was the main palace. Uh, Iran has a lot of biblical sites. You may not know that. And this is Darius the Great's tomb in Iran. So I've never seen it. I'd like to see him. They're put high up on a cliff so you can't mess with them. They're probably guarded. They're probably 100 yards apart. Notice it's carved out of solid rock. Now, Xerxes' granddaddy, you need to know about him. Can anybody guess what his name is? Remember the answer is always on the screen, third grade level, it's right up here. It is Cyrus the Great. And this is a rendering of what Cyrus would have looked like. These three men are three of the greatest kings who ever walked the earth. What's unusual about Cyrus, he's in the Bible. And God, the creator, called Cyrus, the Persian king, the founder of the empire, called him my anointed shepherd. He is in your Bible 30 times. And God calls him his anointed shepherd because he said, he is my chosen one to rebuild my house in Jerusalem. He is the one that'll bring my people back to their home. And you know what's awesome about this? It's in Isaiah, 150 years before he's even born. That's how accurate the scriptures are. Now, this is Cyrus's tomb in Iraq. Is everybody still with me? Are you, are you following me? Okay, now, Ahasuerus. There was a movie out 10 or 15 years about Esther. It was a love story. And the movie painted him as the biggest wimp, passive sissy you ever saw. This guy is not passive. He is not wimpy. He is brutal. You don't dare cross Ahasuerus. Okay? Now, the story goes in Daniel about chapter 3. That somewhere between the seventh year and the twelfth year of Xerxes or Ahasuerus' reign, he appointed a second in command. His name is Haman, uh, and he's a Agagite. Everyone say Agagite. And I think actually he's probably Jamaican. Why would you say that? Because I think the correct, correct pronunciation is Haman. That's pretty bad, isn't it? I couldn't resist. I mean, sit around with time on my hands thinking about stupid stuff. <clears throat> now, so he's, he's, he's officer in charge. Xerxes doesn't know anything about money. He probably doesn't even know where his troops are. <clears throat> he's busy. But this guy, Haman, is in control of everything. Well, how much is everything? Esther says... The empire is so big 
They divide it up into 20 provinces, and there's a man over every province, and this guy is called a satrap. And aren't you, look at the map. Look at the map. Look how big it is. Look at the far left. It stretches from Ethiopia, which is in Africa, all the way to the right, which is India. And Haman is over the whole thing. Now, now this is the setting of the whole story. If you know events that have happened since October 7th, if you know history, history tends to repeat itself. So the story of Esther, that's for later, happens here. And this country is still in the mix of all this. Now, the Iranians are precious, wonderful people, and they are grateful for their Persian blood. A lot of things I'm not going to say because we're being recorded and we'll be on the Internet. I don't want to get people in trouble in other countries. But the fastest growing move of God is right here. Teenagers, people in their 20s, people in their 30s are coming to follow Jesus faster than any place in the world. They're having dreams. They're having appearances of Jesus. Angels are meeting them. And their hearts are tender. And I was in a country that borders that place. And I saw brand new believers being smuggled over the border to be trained in a secret compound in that country. It was really exciting to watch. Now, this guy Haman, he comes from a clan or a family of people called the Amalekites. Would you say Amalekites? Look at the map. This is some of David, King David's military victories years later. And notice you have the Ammonites right side in the center. That is Jordan today. You have the Moabites right below that. You have the Edomites who are the descendants of Ishmael. That's kind of where Petra is. If you've ever seen movies with Petra and then slide on over, you see the Malachites. These were murdersome people. God got ticked off at the Amalekites because when the Jews were coming out of Egypt, you can imagine 4 million people being struck out over 30 miles. The Amalekites were raiding and killing and enslaving and doing horrible things to the people at the rear of the line. And God was upset about it. And Moses said to declare war, thank you, sir. Can I have a milkshake too? Yes, sir. Thank you. God told Moses to don't put up with this wage war. And so the Israelite men went out and faced the Amalekites. And it was a nip and tuck battle. 
God, uh, Moses went to the top of a hill, started worshiping and praying. As long as his hands were raised, the Israelites got the victory. But his arms got tired and his brother Aaron and another leader, Ur, came up and said, sit on this rock and let us hold your hands up. So Haman comes out of this family. Another thing that you don't see that comes into the play of this story is the Persian Empire is almost bankrupt at this time. Because they've had about 15 years of war. If you're from the Ukraine or you're in Israel or you've been in the military, you understand war is very expensive. It's very, very expensive and Persia is having a hard time. Because Xerxes has invaded Greece. His daddy did and died during the invasion. And Xerxes brings about a half a million troops and they cross, I think it's called the Hell's Point, and they invade Greece. And if you know the story, 300 tough guys who were Spartans said, we'll hold them off in this pass. And they had 5,000 men from other city-states, and the Persians could not get through, could not get around until a traitor told them, this is the true story, how to come around the rear. But Xerxes was totally embarrassed. Next, the Greeks, primarily Athenians, whipped their shall I say their hypotenuses in a land battle and the Athenians pushed the Persians into the sea and again another great loss for Xerxes the biggest loss is coming up he had I don't know 500 ships or so and he was going to bring his ships and invade and destroy all the Greek ships primarily Athenians the Athenians outfoxed them, maneuvered around them because they were faster, and they burned those ships one at a time, and those Persian sailors went to the bottom, and Xerxes sat on a hill swearing to high heaven because he lost his entire fleet in one day at the Battle of Salamis. So he is really ticked off, especially at the Athenians. Uh, I bet you thought this was Nicholasville, right? This is Athens. You ever get a chance to go to Athens? It's history at your fingertips. And so being the thug that he was, he decided he's going to burn Athens to the ground because all the troops are gone. And that's what he did. Then he left and went back to Persia. It's one of the reasons Alexander the Great wasn't real fond of Persians. So, the story goes on. Haman is second in control. And he goes to Xerxes and he says, I got a great idea. I got a great idea. You know, there's a thousand ethnic groups in our great big empire, but there's one ethnic group, one ethnic group, one ethnic group. They are weird, strange, and deadly. That's probably what Haman looked like. 
He didn't even tell Xerxes who they were. I don't have to tell you who they are. Just let, let me take care of that. <clears throat> and uh, I, let me tell you two things about it. <clears throat> These people are troublesome. Everyone say troublesome. And the king said, what do you mean troublesome? Well, they won't learn our language. They dress funny. They eat different. They worship They worship one God. We worship 30,000 gods. We think they could lead a rebellion one day. So since they're troublesome, <clears throat> plus they're very wealthy people. They're entrepreneurs. <clears throat> they're good business people. And who was the group? Remember, the answer is on the the Jews. And Haman hated the Jews. Uh, The devil hates the Jews. And today we have protests are okay, riots are bad. But we have people thinking, these people, that sign right there says, Palestine ought to be free, which means every Jew from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean ought to be dead. So Australia, London, Chicago, uh, folks are pretty riled up. Now, it's not people, it's spirits behind the people. But Haman said this, but there's one guy, there's one guy I cannot stand. Every time I see him, just makes my skin crawl and his name would be Mordecai the Jew. He always calls him it's Mordecai the Jew. It's Mordecai the Jew. And he says, I just want to kill that guy. King says, why do you want to kill that guy? Because every time I have a parade to honor me and I'm in a big chariot or there's 12 men carrying me on their shoulders and I've got pipes and drums and banners and people dancing. There's one guy on the street corner. He won't salute. He won't take off his sunglasses. He will not bow. Everybody's supposed to bow to me. He actually turns my back and I'm going to get him. By the way, since he's Mordecai the Jew, I ought to get all, all of them. At the same time, what Haman does not know is Mordecai's daughter, by adoption, is the queen. It might have been a good detail to have known, but he didn't know that. And also, Xerxes did not know that the beautiful girl named Esther, who means Myrtle, Myrtle Beach was named after her. It's a joke. (laughs) That his own wife was Jewish. Because Papa, as she was in the contest, said, shh, whatever you do, don't let it out that you're Jewish. Things may not go well for you. Okay, Dad, I won't breathe a word. So she won the contest. She became the queen. The king loved her. So here's the plan. Haman says on a certain day, October 7th had probably been planned a long time in Israel. And so Haman planned 
He said, on one day, we can take care of all this. One day, we can do it all. We'll write a document. You can sign it. It'll go across all 20 provinces, all the way to India. And on one day, if you know one of these particular people, just go ahead and take them out. And we'll send all the troops to every province. And they will loot all their stuff. And we will be doing so good. Uh, I've been to Turkey a number of times. I love Turkish people. <clears throat> but in 2015, a horrible thing happened. You need to know history. The ruler of the Turkish Empire decided he wanted to go into Armenia, that was one of the oldest Christian countries in the world, and attack it. I happened to be in Armenia on the 100th anniversary, and they were saying, why wouldn't Americans recognize this? The signs were saying, why won't Turkey admit what they did? Just admit, we'll forgive you if you just say we did all this, but they wouldn't do it. While I was in Armenia, <clears throat> there were some people like Cher, because she was, she's an Armenian, Kim Kardashian, because she was Armenian, and me. <laughs> but three big celebrities. Cher wanted my autograph. I said, nah, no thank you. Here's what happened. Look at the map. See the map? Can you see Armenia today in red? Probably the oldest Christian country in the world. So when the Turks attacked without warning, they just loosed the dogs of war and they killed half their population. Now I put a question mark. Because nobody knows really, but if the population was 2 million, a million people died very quickly. And there was a man named Adolf Hitler that was young and he saw this and he goes, oh, so England and America and France will never do anything if people are eliminated. Maybe one day if I come to power, I will eliminate people too. And they took three-fourths of their territory. You see where the line is? And there's another place called Cilicia. Mount Ararat, where the ark came down, used to be in Armenia. Now it's in Turkey. So this is kind of what Haman is doing. And so Haman kind of made the deal sweeter. He said, here's what I'll do, boss. I mean, king Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus, there you go. Here's what I'll do. I will guarantee on my sterling, humble reputation to give you in the kingdom 10,000 talents of silver and what was almost bankrupt, we will be flush with currency. And the question is, did Haman have this money laying around? Did he? Yes or no? No. Where was he going to get it? Steal it. Now, your little pastor's little brain, I was trying to think, well, how much actually is 10,000 talents of silver? Guesstimate, okay? Last night, silver in America was at $22.75 an ounce, which is about the size of a, your fingernail. <clears throat> a talent, I read, was about 57 pounds. 
uh, after I calculated this, they said it's probably closer to 70 pounds. You see that weight carved out of solid rock? That was used to weigh out talents 2,000 years ago. So you put the weight on one side of a big scale. You put the silver on the other side. And when they balance, you know you have a talent. And a talent could be melted into solid bars about 18, 24 inches long, about that thick and about that wide. So if it's just 57 pounds and there's 16 ounces, right, in a pound, and there's 57 pounds... 912 ounces apparent roughly in a talent. <clears throat> so if it's 2275 an ounce times 912 ounces, the meant a talent right now would be worth over twenty thousand dollars. Okay. <clears throat> so if he said I'll I'll throw in the kitty ten thousand of those. That meant, king old king, I'm gonna, I'm good for over $200 million into the bank. And the king probably said, hey, I like that. I like that a lot. So this is what Haman promised. So I want you to at least get your head around what's going on here. <clears throat> so the king said, sure. I don't know who these people are. <clears throat> I don't know when you're gonna do it. I don't really care. So you just take care of it. If they're going to cause me trouble, let's just take care of it now. So he signed the document. And so how they signed the document, a king, he had a special ring, a signet ring. And so there'd be hot wax. He would dip that one and only ring on the earth into the hot wax, put it on the document, something called the law of the Medes and Persians, which means if he signed it, even he couldn't revoke it. It had to happen. So Satan actually used Haman. Haman's a wicked guy, but there's a more wicked person behind Haman because he wanted to change the history of Israel. Just like Satan was behind a certain Pharaoh who said, hey, we're, we got all these Jewish slaves. It's 400 years and they are multiplying, multiplying, big family, strong people. And we got to put a stop to this because they outnumber us. So therefore, he's telling all the midwives, every time a baby boy is born, into the Nile for the crocs. Satanic. This guy ate off Hitler. The Jews are responsible for all of our problems. We need to eliminate every single one of them. Satan was behind it. Well, why, Pastor? Here's the deal. If the Jews were killed, God's plan of redemption would never happen. What do you mean? No Israel? No Messiah. You, you guys do know Jesus is Jewish, right? Did, did, did you know that? Man, many people think he was Baptist. No, that was John the Baptist. <clears throat> and if there's no Messiah, 
there's no Bible. If there's no Bible, there will be no church, which is just God's family. And if there's no church, that means there's no heaven for anybody in this room or the nations of the earth, all because Satan chopped it down at the root. So that's the fiendish plan. So Esther didn't even know this was happening. She's sequestered in the palace. She didn't know what's going on in the street. Mordecai saw the documents that got sent by couriers to every place in the whole kingdom. Mordecai got a copy of the document and he knew he could not get into the palace. He could go up to a gate probably two miles away from her palace. And he had some allies who would go to the palace and say, daughter, you got put in this position to rescue your people. If you don't speak up, all of us are gone. You got to do this. Now, let's talk about the four actions. What did she do? Okay, this is where you come in. Number one, you got to pray. We are a praying church. Prayer is at the center of everything we do. Every failure is a prayer failure. Every success is because we simply prayed. Would you say this out loud? This is what Christ said. Say it out loud. Ask and it will be. Seek and you will. Knock and the door will be open to you. This shows you the three phases of prayer. I pray. I get my resume together, I send it out, I knock on doors. Read this too, please. For everyone who asks, and everyone who seeks, and to the one who knocks. Now, I don't know when. I don't know how. I don't know who. That's not my business. And I don't tell God in my prayers how to do his business. That's his But I do ask, and I do seek, and I knock. And prayer is not specifically mentioned in the text because of the Jewish culture. It is just understood. If you fast, you pray too. Daniel said in a crisis, chapter 9, I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with mercy and sackcloth and ashes. I humble myself before the Lord. Now, all of us can do a lot of things before we pray. But most of the time, I won't say all the time, most of the time, God does not engage until you pray. You say, Steve, does he help people behind the scenes that don't even know him? Absolutely. But you know him. And he wants you to talk to him. That's why I had my little trinket up here. My grandkids at the first service rang this 373 times without stopping. I want to say God is not your bellhop. And a lot of us pray like, okay, God, you're my servant. And God is not your waiter. Uh, More water, please. Well, what is he? He's our heavenly father and he wants a relationship. And if you don't have time to talk to him, he probably doesn't have time to help you. Because it means you just want stuff. 
Are you with me? Next, are you waiting on God? People say, I'm waiting on God to move. Well, maybe he's waiting on you. You got 24 hours a day and you ain't had five minutes to be with him. He's probably waiting on you to figure it out. And I don't believe anybody in this room offends God by praying too much. Does anybody think you offend God? I don't think so. I don't. See, prayer is the greatest skill set you can ever learn. You can learn to hit a golf ball. You can learn to do the stock market. You can learn to play the piano. Even better than evangelism or missions is learning to pray. It is a skill set. Why? Because you get to know the creator. You get to know how he thinks and what he wants. And if you learn to do this at 16, 17, 18, and you spend your life doing this, the windows of heaven will open to help you because you want to know him. Prayer, people say, oh, prayer moves the hands of God. It does move the hands of God. But more important, prayer changes us. And then God's hands move. Second thing you do is fast. Everyone say fast. What is fasting? Just a simple answer. Fasting is doing without food for a period of time so you can draw close to the Lord. Uh, Is fasting fun? No, sirree. Because God knows how much, how many frankly would be honest and say, I enjoy eating. I do. And if you stop eating for a while, God knows, wow, she is serious today. She wants to talk to me. Because when we put away food for a while, we can hear God's voice to our heart a lot easier, which means you make better decisions. And his supernatural power can flow. And I think fasting can really help that flow happen more. For instance, how long did Moses fast? Anybody know? 40 days. And God, at the end of 40 days, gave him something that changed the entire earth. These are 10 things that I really cherish. Nineveh fasted. Because Jonah said, by the way, you guys are toast because God is ticked off at you guys. And Jonah was a racist. Jonah hated them. He wanted them to burn, baby, burn. Instead, the king and the leader said, we've offended God. And we're going to fast for three days. I'm just curious. Missing food and praying more, would it be worth changing your family's future. I think so. I think so. Three. Ezra was leading about a thousand people from Persia back to the promised land because they've been captives for 70 years. And before they left, he said, time out. We better fast and pray before we go because we're going through the territories of a lot of people that would like to kill us and enslave us. And we better ask God's protection. Number four, Anna is a widow. She spent a lot of time praying, fasting at the temple, and her spiritual ear got so acute she could hear God's voice 
that when hundreds of couples brought their eight-day-year-old baby boys in to be dedicated to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said to this woman, that couple right there, she's holding the Messiah. That one right there. Now I want to say, uh, if you've got some physical issues, be careful about fasting. You're diabetic, hypoglycemic, you're pregnant, do not fast. But most of us, it will actually help us physically. But if you got a medical condition, you may want to talk to your doc about that. Number five, Jesus fasted how long? 40 days before he started his ministry. Some of you are at the front end of what God wants you to do. Or you're in a transition. Spending some time fasting would be really smart. Number six. Here's how the missions movement started in a place called Antioch. Eight people worshiped, prayed, and fasted. And then the Holy Spirit said, this guy 27, this guy 28, Paul and Silas, you commission them. You commission them. B, fasting is not a hunger strike. Well, you got to do what I want you to do, and I'm going to twist your arm because I'm not eating nothing. Well, I don't think you're strong enough to twist God's arm, so just stop. What is fasting? It's humbling yourself before the Lord. Lord, I can't fix me. Lord, I don't know how to do this. Lord, my wife doesn't love me. I don't know how to love her. So I'm going to humble myself and ask that you change my heart so I can love my wife like you want. That when you do stuff like that, God's power shows up. Isaiah 58 says, is this not the kind of fast I choose to break every yoke? If you're an addict, you got a porn issue, you're you're foul-mouthed, you got a son who's got heart like a stone, do some fasting. And ask the Lord to break that yoke. And maybe there's something you critically need. I would suggest if you fast, fast for a purpose. You notice the little lines I put on your paper? When I fast next week, i got things I need to talk to God about. Things I can't do. I need God to do what only he could do. Number three, do the hard thing. Worship team, would you guys come out, please? Uh, If it's hard, most of us don't want to do it because we keep procrastinating. And I get it. Esther's saying, you're asking me to do something that would get me killed. Don't, Don't ask me to do that. She does it anyway. After three days of fasting. And I don't know where God has placed you. A lot of you in this room have important things to do for God. And you are in that neighborhood, you're at that school, you're at that company, and you're not there for yourself. If you pray, 
sooner or later, he's going to ask you to do something. Because if you have faith and never do anything, you really don't have any faith. According to James. And if we do not speak up, if we don't act, if we don't share the gospel, if we don't love, a lot of people will suffer. Now here's the last one. So, what did Esther do? Prayed? Fasted? Okay, I'll do it. And there comes a time when you go, I don't know how it's going to turn out. Well, frankly, none of us do. That's why I have to do the best I can, what God wants, and I got to leave it in his hands. Because I don't know the future. I get into stuff, I have no idea how it's going to turn out. I don't know if it's going to sink or it's going to fly. That's why I trust the Lord. Lord, I've done my 2%. Now it's time for you to do your 98%, Lord. But I want to tell you, I want to do, everybody say it with me, the right thing. One more time, everybody say it, the right thing. Just do the right thing. Do what God wants you to do. No matter how hard it is, he will always back you up if you do the right thing. If you do the thing to bring him glory, if you do the thing to help people, because this life's not about us. So here's how Esther closed out the deal. It's one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. He said, she said, okay, I'll go in to see the king. <clears throat> I probably won't get five feet before I'm dead in a pool of blood because I know I'm going to break the law. And if I break the law, there's no other recourse than I die unless my king, my husband, holds out the scepter. And if he never holds it out, I can live with this. If I perish, everyone say, if I perish, one more time, if I perish, I perish. So I'm kind of stirred for next week. There's some areas I need a miracle. I need God to break through. I can't fix stuff. I don't know how to do stuff. And maybe you got a, you need a breakthrough in your family. You need that daughter to get her mind right. You need to get out of debt and stop overspending. You need direction. Some of you in this room need a job. And maybe some of you in this room, frankly, just need a house. You need a place to live. And before you sign on the contract, you ought to spend some time alone with the Lord. Saying, Lord, is this the best house? Lord, is this where you want me? So, three-day fast. Anytime you want to. Any way you want to. Miss a meal a day. Skip lunch, skip breakfast and lunch. Don't eat for three days. Drink some water. I would suggest that. 
and give that extra time to the Lord. And as we close our service and you guys watching online, as we always do, the altar is always open for you to kneel and do business with the Lord or right where you are. So let me close our time. Lord, speak to your sons and daughters. Let them know that we, let all of us know that we can't, but you can. Break in, Lord, and give us the miracles we need. And for anyone in the room and anyone watching online, maybe the next step is just simply giving your heart to the Lord. So if you want to say and pray with me, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord today because I give you everything. In Jesus' name. The altar is open. You're welcome to come. You're welcome to come and find prayer too. you all stand as you're able. We're going to worship to this last song here before we go. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here. I pray that you would speak to us during this time. We just invite you to show us what you're calling us to, the things we need to surrender. We just surrender to you afresh, Lord. Atmospheres change now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Overflow of God. Atmosphere is changed. 
coming in such a tangible way to meet us with your love. Lord, I feel faith stirring in this room. Lord, I pray that this week that you meet with us individually. Lord, just as you moved here corporately, we just honor you in this place. Holy Spirit, we honor you. We acknowledge you and we thank you for being in our midst. We love you. Holy Spirit, continue to guide us. We want more of your presence in our lives, corporately and personally. Lord, there's so many that need you to move in their lives. Lord, let faith arise. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to show yourself mighty in each and every situation, in each and every home, Lord, represented here. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I pray that you have a blessed rest of the day. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.